0: It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: You are locked on Big Ten football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
2: Welcome to your Locked On Big Ten football podcast. We're raring to go. Camp scrimmages the whole nine yards. We'll have some news at Michigan, Ohio State, Nebraska, uh, also Penn State as well. Maryland, and we'll talk about the talent gap between Michigan and Ohio State. How big is it, if at all? We'll get Chris's thoughts. You're locked on Big Ten uh, football podcast comes from Manscape, who is number one in men's below the belt grooming. You may have seen them on Shark Tank. Precision en- engineered tools get twenty percent off and free shipping with a code locked on at manscape.com. It's twenty percent off manscape.com with the promo code locked on. All right, here we go. Let's start at Michigan. One of the big names on their roster is Donovan Peoples-Jones. Uh, he had a bit of a groin injury, but uh, man, he's he's had a strong camp. Doesn't seem to have affected him at all. Your thoughts on Peoples-Jones?
0: Well, I think this receiving core is really talented, got some experience. They're going to more, as we think, spread set looks. Donovan Peoples-Jones is the guy that I'm most comfortable with as a route runner um, and making plays as an on-the-ball receiver. He's had a really good camp. He's kind of been more the alpha dog guy in their wide receiver room. So I think he's supposed to have a good year. Uh, You always have to manage those little injury situations. Hamstrings seem very innocuous, but They can be lingering if you don't watch it. But uh, no alarming issue injury-wise, but really more positive about um, what DPJ has done here uh, in uh, camp.
2: DPJ, I like the nickname. Um, Ohio State, uh, got a quarterback. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. uh, You know, just as we kind of look, receivers, athletic, and kind of uh, getting a look. And I had had a little bit of peek in some of their work. Boy, it's a really fun matchup watching those receivers and defensive backs go against one, or, one another. They are really talented on both sides of the ball. And a guy that I've spent a lot of time really studying that I think has good next-level ability is Jeffrey uh, Adua, a corner that's that's got good length but got good movement skills. Um, this, this is a secondary that's got a lot of speed that uh, can match up very well against receivers of uh, the the top-level variety in college football. You know, we've talked a little bit about Ohio State and their struggles, their inconsistencies last year, their poor play on defense. It's maybe the biggest thing I'm looking forward to evaluating once the season gets underway. Not so much just with what is Justin Fields going to do on offense, but what is this defense going to look like? Um, you know, Alex Greenwich is gone. Greg Channel's gone. Greg Madison brought in. Um you know, still co-coordinators. How they're going to do it? How is it going to mesh? How is this going to fit? That's that's the most intriguing thing to me is how do they play on defense because they've got a lot of talent, but they did not play up to that, and even come close to it last season.
2: What what happened with Greg Schiano? He went from a guy who was considered one of the better uh, coordinators um, in the Big Ten. And he was going to get the Tennessee job. We don't have to rehash all that stuff. But then, uh, next thing we know, he gives up a record number of, uh, I can't remember if his points or yards at Ohio state. And then the next thing we know, um, he's, he's gone. What, what happened there?
0: Well, and, and again, he wasn't the coordinator. He was the co-coordinator with Alex Greenwich. They both struggled. Here's what happened there. um, Alex Greenwich was brought in from Washington State, did a great job at, um, for Mike Leach. He's brought in because Urban felt like Greg was going to get a job, and at that time, he didn't know what was going to unveil at Tennessee, but he thought there was a really good chance he was going to lose him. So that's what you do now in a lot of cases. You have co-coordinators. You have two people. So Alex was basically coming in to replace Greg, who was thought going to be moving on. Well, we all know the Tennessee situation. As you said, we don't need to rehash that. So Greg's remains. Um, Alex remains. We all know urban suspension. So now Ryan's the head coach. You've got co-defensive coordinators. You've got, you know, a little bit of a think tank and not, you know, a lot of things were a little unkept in terms of, coaching-wise at Ohio State last year. So Urban comes back after the suspension. And I got to tell you, things weren't right. I mean, I do believe that based upon the suspension, based upon how Urban did not like how the president handled it, um, I think Urban was an unhappy guy, and I think he knew he was out the gate at the end of the year. Nothing changed, I am told, on the coaching staff when Urban came back. Urban handled more of the, obviously, speaking to the team, handling the media responsibilities, um, overseeing game day management of situations, timeouts, decisions along those lines. But it was really more of the roles that both co-coordinators had on defense and Ryan had on offense as the head coach, basically those roles kind of stayed the same. And Ryan was kind of a presumptive associate head coach without the title uh, all of last year. It led to, I think, a lot of problems and I think a lot of confusion because they their problems were not athletic ability last year. They, they missed Bosa, there's no doubt about it. He was the heart and soul, but that doesn't explain the poor gap control being out of position So, what happened to Greg. It's not so much what just happened to Greg. It's what happened to the entire defense. Now, we all know that Craig, after this situation at its course, Greg took a job with the Patriots and Bill Belichick, very close with him, thinks the world of him. He stepped aside from his job with the Patriots. I don't want to get into maybe what could have led to that, but I think those issues that were taking place, um, were, were, were there when he was at Ohio state. And so I think that contributed to a lot of it, but so I don't, um, it's certainly not the problem with the defense. It wasn't all on Greg Schiano. I think it was the overall confusion. Cause you know what? Alex Greenwich, uh, was the co-coordinator. And, you know, so he was there when they couldn't get lined up against Purdue (laughs) And, and, and they couldn't line up, get lined up against Maryland. And we're fortunate to win that game. But Alex has parlayed that into what they think is the answer to the defense at Oklahoma. So we'll see. But, you know, I think obviously Greg is kind of going by the wayside and there's no doubt that, uh, he has been, he was personally affected and, um, in, in a very negative way in the Tennessee situation that, uh, you know, I know that that may be what uh, it's, and it's ironic. You're very well and close to this for folks that don't know. Dave does a show in Tennessee and is very clued into the Vols as he is around uh, the country, but really close to that program. The iron, irony is Greg Shiano was the only guy that everybody that was involved in Tennessee, The Peyton Manning, the Haslam's, the the Philip Formers, the the president, the athletic director who ultimately John Curry was fired. That was the one guy that everybody was in agreement in agreement was the right hire for him, except the fan base. And and, and so how how ironic that was, is that blew up and then the Mike Leach blew up. We don't want to get into that. But, you know, I, I think it's just a confluence of situations. And I think that, that that really affected Greg personally um, in a negative way.
2: Well, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I know it's locked on Big Ten football podcast, but the Tennessee fans should be ashamed of themselves. If they didn't like the hire, that's fine. But going and finding some uh, a weak, weak link, I thought, at Penn State to the terrible, terrible things that happened there. And attaching him to that was uh, just just really sad. And it was social media go- gone wrong. But we'll get to uh, uh, more football. How about that? Nebraska Absolutely. coming up next. They've got uh, plenty of camp notes that we'll get to. You're locked on Big Ten football podcast. He's Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker. More after this.
3: It's Kubota Orange Day. Shop the year's best selection of Kubota tractors, zero-turn mowers, and utility vehicles
1: You are locked on Big Ten football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
2: Welcome back to your Locked On Big Ten football podcast. Let's talk some Nebraska, and there's a wide receiver there for the Cornhuskers uh, that you really like in terms of what he's done early in camp.
0: Well, Noah comes over from Cal, and if you look at their receiving core – there's not a lot of proven talent. I think there's some talent, but not proven talent behind J.D. Spillman. So I think there's some opportunities to step up and make some plays. I don't think this kid's an elite guy, but I think he can be a real effective option for Adrian Martinez. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm um, um, getting choked up over him. Um, I-, I think it'd be a real positive effect for their offense. The other thing that just coming out of their camp is they really want to work about three guys in their running back rotation. So it's going to be by committee. We still don't know the, the ongoing saga of Maurice Washington. Um, you know, he certainly fixed, figures into that mix, but we got to get him eligible and see where that suspension is and where that's going to go. Dedrick Mills is a good downhill runner. Uh, Wendell Robinson, I've mentioned him before. He's kind of the joker of their offense. I mean, he's the Rondell Moore of Nebraska and uh a guy that's great with the ball in his hands, running back, uh wing back, receiver, slot, Wendell Robinson, folks, remember that name because you're gonna know his name come this fall.
2: I wanna go back a little bit. Um I, I still remember when the the Dallas Cowboys uh named Herschel Walker, the starter over Tony Dorsett, and that was a complete fiasco. Used to be you just couldn't play uh, two or more running backs, but now it's commonplace. It's unusual to have one bell cow back. And I'm, I'm curious, who was the first team that you, either college or pro, that you recall doing that where it was basically, uh, you know, two or three guys are going to get carries and then you're going to go with the hot hand in the fourth quarter. Is, is there a, a team that that stands out to you, that did that first?
0: Well, really what happened was, as the passing game became more uh, in vogue, what you saw is the emphasis on a lot of one-back sets and, you know, a lot of three-wides and getting tight ends involved in the passing game. So even when you were two-wides, you still had, um, you know, you were running 11 personnel, one-back, one-tight end. And, and, And the reason is, Because of that, the great backs, as I always say, the great running backs that can do everything, that can be the downhill runner, can be the cutback runner, can be the guy that can get the edge, that has the speed to get to the corner. Those guys are rare. And, you know, they're they're not, boy, you know, devalued, as they say. But what changed it was you didn't have, as a result, In the NFL and in college, what you saw is a little bit more advent of the spread over time and the run and the the run game became important, but different in that you didn't have many guys that could do all of those things very well. So what you saw was a guy that was a speed back. Then you had a guy that was a downhill back. Maybe you had a guy that could do two of those things uh, uh, that, that could be a cutback guy. Maybe you find a guy, if you're lucky, that could do two of those things very well. Maybe he had good downhill burst and he could cut, but he didn't have speed to the edge. Well, then that became, you know, all right, the guy's good, but he's not elite. He's not as valuable, you know, in terms of the offense as a guy that, you know, there's a difference between good backs and great backs. We're seeing this in the NFL now with Zeke Elliott. Uh, Zeke Elliott is an elite back because he can do all of that. Um, Alvin Kamara is an elite back because he can do all of that when healthy, and that's the biggest issue right now with Todd Gurley. He can do all of that, but a lot of guys' the backs are more fungible because they're they're good at a couple of things and not as good at everything. Um, So, I, you know, listen, I think that you could look at uh, the Chargers under Don Coryell became you know, really good with, focused on receivers and the tight end, Kellen Winslow, they had good backs. Uh, they had Chuck Muncy, Uh, but Chuck Muncie was not, uh, and after his career with the Saints, was not a, you know, great all-around back, but he did, you know, he was a good power back. So I think, <clears throat> I don't know if they were the first, I'd have to think about that a little bit more, but was one of the first. Well, in college, we've seen more and more of that. The college game throughout the 70s, what did you have? You look at the Heisman. I mean, it was okay. It was Billy Sims. It was, you know, her. It, it was um, Earl Campbell and Herschel Walker and Bo Jackson. And I mean, all it, it, that's that was the focal point. Who are the backs and who are the great guys? Well, the game has changed to more of a passing game, more emphasis on quarterbacks. And because of that, it filters down through high school. You still have great backs that can do everything. You just don't have as many of them. Well, if you don't have as many of them, they're not going to be as impactful throughout the world of college football as you did back in the day where the offenses in high school and therefore up filtered up to college, were more run oriented. You had more of those type of backs that uh, fit what you want to do, be it the option, be it the eye, be it the split back, you know, you had guys that had roles as running backs, and it was more of a featured part. Now, not so much. Now it's about what you do out of the backfield, speed, change of pace. If you got a power guy, you can be really can be really good. And, you know, you have certain programs that good downhill guys, you know, Iowa, for example, uh, does it differently with their blocking scheme. They want good vision backs and cutback guys. Wisconsin's more of the downhill guys. They get more of the power guy that can make one cut and get up the field type of backs. You know, Ohio State, bit of a combination. Speed guys that have greater, you know, I drafted Eddie George. Eddie George was a great back. He had good combination. So, I think it's kind of changed over time. Penn State, Saquon Barkley. I failed to mention him just because I was going through it pretty quickly. Saquon Barkley is, again, drafted very high. Why? I mean, he's 235 pounds. He's got wiggle, he's got shake, he can put his foot in the ground and go from the front side C-gap to the back side A-gap in one cut, and he's a great receiver. Are you kidding me? That guy's as valuable as anybody, but they're not that plentiful. Obviously, he was a great back at Penn State. And so, yeah, I think over time it's just changed, not so much this is the first one. It was kind of like, you know, can you ever remember when phone booths were not a thing? I mean, I... I'm a little older, so maybe, but you know, if you think about, all right, there was a time where every street corner, you had a phone booth. Well, obviously we don't need them anymore, but can anybody ever remember when we got rid of them? It was like you all of a sudden rode down the street and there were, there were no more phone booths. It, and that's kind of the way the running backs have changed. It's just kind of gradually over time rather than just, Hey, look, we're getting rid of all the phone booths here starting in January. It didn't happen that way. It was just like, Hey, they're gone. Well, they're gone because as it became from car phones to cell phones and everybody's got them, they became obsolete. Now, that's a maybe somewhat over exaggerated example because running backs are far from obsolete, but the lack of players that can do everything very well, they're free and far between. So you gotta you gotta take you gotta piecemeal it. You gotta say, hey, we can we can make a really good back out of these two or three. That we can do different things with them.
2: Yeah, and I like to shout out to uh, Ezekiel Elliott. My son uh, won't appreciate that since playing Madden, uh, the most recent version of uh, Madden, the video game, I ripped off uh, three fifty-yard runs recently in one game with oh. Ezekiel. And yeah, to the, the trash
0: talking, be, trash talking.
2: My on kid, the I know. Trash
0: it, he he kid. usually looker, everybody.
2: He usually beats <clears> <throat> me all the time. When I get to the point where I beat him and he throws the controller down and says I'm done, that's a big day for dad.
0: <laughs> and 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 we're all happy for you here. Unlocked
2: Thank on- <laughs> you. Thank you. I appreciate that. What an accomplishment. I beat my son in the video game. Uh coming up, how big is the talent gap between Michigan and Ohio State? Stay tuned. He's Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker. You're locked on Big Ten Football Podcast.
1: You are locked on Big Ten football, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
2: Welcome back to your Locked On Big Ten football podcast. We discussed the talent gap between Georgia and Alabama in our Locked On SEC football podcast. I'd encourage you to listen to that. And I think a lot of people think that Georgia is incredibly close uh, to Alabama, Michigan Ohio State is a very similar sort of debate isn't it? I mean we think that Michigan's much better the recruiting rankings which are eh, um, may reflect that but when you look at the talent on the field, How much better is Ohio State, and specifically, where are they better, Chris?
0: Well, again, um, as we talked about in Georgia, Alabama, you look at Michigan and you say, oh, boy, they're ranked good. In fact, some people may say, hey, Michigan's had as good a recruiting class. They were ranked just as high as Ohio State. They're right there with them. They're just as good. They got just as much talent. That's a very superfluous way to look at a recruiting class and not very accurate because where are they different? There is a distinct speed advantage in Ohio State's favor. Um, Ohio State's had better offensive lines. Michigan has had really good defensive line. They are, have had good safeties. They've not been as, as, as athletic at corner as Ohio State. Folks, it's not that Michigan's not good. On the contrary, they're really good and getting better and making inroads in recruiting in a very impressive way. But there is a distinct speed advantage. Michigan has not had, and I think Karan Higdon was really good, but they've not had the great running back. They've not been the dominant offensive line. That has contributed just as much to their ineffectiveness on offense, particularly since they want to be a downhill power team and maybe turn their back to the, to the defense and, and, and run play action. They've not been as dominant up front. So that's contributed to it. The issue with Michigan against Ohio state, it's not a, listen, it's on Jim Harbaugh. He's the head coach. He's been there long enough. Why don't they have the speed to match up? It's not a, uh, some sort of voodoo about, you know, they can't play Ohio state. No, it's no voodoo. The voodoo is a distinct speed advantage. Same way. Florida was able to run by Michigan. They don't match up against speed teams. Michigan's been able to do it's not. I think the Big Ten gets wrongly criticized for being slow. That is wrong. It's unfair, but who cares about it being fair? It's inaccurate, but they're not as explosive as like the SEC, for example. And the the, except for Ohio State, that is in Michigan, while they will look really dominant against a lot of people, good teams that have speed players, but they don't have them in numbers at Iowa, at Michigan State, at Northwestern, at Minnesota, uh, past several years, at Nebraska. Uh, You know, you see some teams, Penn State getting more speed, Michigan getting more speed, but relatively speaking, not as good as Ohio State. So people try to beat them in a phone booth, you know, Ohio State, and you, you try to do that. Why did Purdue, for example, had a lot of success against Ohio State? Well, that's a bigger issue, uh, and you can talk a little bit about what Ohio State was not able to do. But the speed factor of Purdue really caused Ohio State some problems and a lot of misdirection plays. And while Purdue doesn't have the speed of Ohio State, they are built around speed more so than a Northwestern or an Iowa and other, you know, Minnesota, uh, so on and so forth, in the Big Ten, a lot of other schools, Wisconsin. Whereas, you know, Michigan's kind of built more like, more talented, but more along the lines of the teams in the West or Michigan State. They're better, more talented, but built stylistically like them. And when they go up against Ohio State, they've been not able to handle the speed. Listen, I get it. A couple of years ago, they may be a bad call away from beating It's not that they can't compete. It's just that it is difficult, and they got to win a certain style and got to neutralize that speed, but there's a distinct speed advantage. So, yes, while Michigan may very well win the Big Ten this year, I don't know. We'll see. That's what the season's all about. I do think there is an inherent misunderstanding of, well, wait a minute. You know, Jim Harbaugh's an idiot. He can't win the big game, yada, yada, yada. Well, what you think of Jim Harbaugh is up to you. Uh, What he has not been able to do in my mind is stabilize his coaching staff on offense, find the right mix on offense, nor has he been able to recruit to the level that I think Michigan's capable of recruiting. And I think they're trying to make some adjustments to that. We'll see how well it'll work, but speed, 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 my friend, is what is really the key that separates Michigan and Ohio state. And until that changes It's not impossible to beat Ohio State. Of course, it's not impossible, but it is a tougher hill to climb when you're having to neutralize a speed advantage. In essence, Ohio State doesn't have to be quite as sharp and are still able to have speed advantages over Michigan, whereas Michigan's got to be more exact, more complete, more on when they're playing Ohio State. They can do it, but it's a bigger challenge. It's just as simple
2: as that. That is your Locked On Big Ten football podcast. He's Chris Landry. I'm Dave Hooker. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a fantastic day, everyone.
1: The NCAA tournament is almost here. And listening to Locked On College Basketball will give you the edge you need to dominate your bracket. So don't wait. Find Locked On College Basketball on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network.